0: Lord Jesus, would you meet us that we might sit at your feet and know you with us this morning. Bless you, Lord, amen. So I remember as a young man, a friend called me up and he said, hey, do you want to go see a movie? I said, sure, I'll go to the movie with you. So we go to the movie, we get in the line. I said, um, what, am I, what am I asking for? You know, what, what, what kind of ticket do I want? And he says, oh, the name of the movie is Platoon. Anybody seen Platoon? All right. Uh, So we go in, we sit down, and I said, "Um, what's it about, by the way? And (laughs) the the soldier among us knows where this is going already. (laughs) I said, what's this about anyway? And um, he said, well, the New York Times says that this is the most realistic depiction of what it was like to be in the infantry in Vietnam. And I said, oh. Oh. I thought we were going to have fun. <laughs> I think every American should see Platoon once. But it's not fun. It's not easy. And there's a scene in Platoon where a couple of new guys have shown up. And the unit has gone out. And they're out in the in the jungle forest. And night comes, and they find a little spot. And they just lay back amongst the bushes. There's full gear. Got the, the gear, the, the weapon, the whole bit and they go to sleep. And I am watching this, and I am terrified. I'm not a great sleeper. I mean, I am a great sleeper once I get to sleep. Part of the reason why I'm afraid of sleeping in certain circumstances is because once I get to sleep, it takes a virtual act of God to wake me up. So I always figure, like, you know, the bear will eat my leg off before I wake up. So I've been been nervous about sleeping while backpacking. I get nervous about sleeping if I have to get up really early in the morning to get on a flight because I sleep so hard and I'm watching these guys sleep and inside my insides are screaming like, don't do it. Don't go to sleep. And I'm just like, please, can we get through this scene? I think I need some, I'm gonna go get the popcorn right now, right? And sure enough, it turns out that one of the guys forgets to set the, the mines that are their alarm, they have a tripwire, and so the young the new guy wakes up. And right over there are the enemies and they're sort of whispering to each other like you take him, you take him, you take him. It's absolutely terrifying. And most of them get out of it somehow, but it's not pretty. For me, sleeping is a trust issue. I can't lose control in life. I have a hard time taking a Sabbath. Not working. And sleep is a poignant measurement of that for me. So this summer, we're in the Psalms. The Psalms are the heart cry of the Scriptures. And you'll find every emotion in the Psalms. And you'll find every bit of life in the Psalms. And that fact by itself tells us that God wants us. He doesn't want a pseudo us, he doesn't want an imitation us, or a fake, or a smiley happy us. He wants us, the fullness of us. And so this morning, we're in Psalm 121. And that lovely song we just sang is basically an adaptation of Psalm 121. And Psalm 121 tells us that because of God's great love for us, we can go to sleep. We can take a Sabbath. We can relax because he's not going to go to sleep on the job. It's basically what it says to us. Now, Psalm 121 is a lovely psalm. It, because of what it says, but also because there's only eight verses. So it's like it's really accessible. Like you can, you can get it in your head. This is one that's worth memorizing. It's worth memorizing because when you hit life stressors, it's good to have it with you because you don't always know when life stressors are coming, right? And when they come at you, it's great to have something in here that you can pull up automatically right away. And Psalm 121 is a great one to have because the way it reads is really pretty cool, all right? Now, the the Hebrews weren't as into rhyming as we are because a lot of their words rhymed anyway, so they thought it was kind of like chintzy, eh, big deal, whoopee-doo, you rhymed. So they would do things with, with pairs in poetry. And the way Psalm 121 works is like this. You know how we read it. You read half a verse, and then you get the little star, and then we all say the second half of the verse, right? So the verses are broken into little pairs and the way Psalm 121 works is the odd verse, the top, the top, the first half of the odd verse will name something. It, it says something. And then the second half of the odd verse will respond to that, bolstering what it said. And then both halves of the even verse will pick that up and take it further. All right. Make sense? Eight verses broken into halves, which is confusing. So let's just remember that when the scriptures were originally written, they didn't have verse numbers in them. So when we run into ridiculous screwball things like this, where they could have just made the Psalms have you know, 16 verses instead of eight, so it would actually somewhat help you match up the way it works. They didn't. I don't know why. I don't really care why because that all came later anyway. So whoever did that, We'll take that up with them in heaven. But the way it works then is eight verses, basically four quatrains of half verses. Follow that? Four fours of half verses. And the top half verse leads, the next three support it, and boom, 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 boom. The, the last thing about the way it works is the first line, the first half verse of all, raises the question for the whole psalm. And the rest of the psalm responds to that. The first quatrain is the question. The second quatrain responds. Better response, better response. So it builds in response as it goes. All right? Nifty, right? It's pretty cool. So this helps us orient ourselves around it. So the beginning is, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills. you find all kinds of moments in the Gospels, important moments, big moments, where we're told Jesus lifted up his eyes right because this is a common jewish spiritual practice in the old testament god and hills and mountains are a thing lots of things happened with god on mountains the giving of the commandments you know moses meeting with god elijah going up to meet with god elisha going into a dangerous valley and elijah saying hey hey to the guy who was scared saying hey it's okay Let's pray and now look in the hills, and the hills are full of angels. So the hills, symbolically reaching up to heaven, are places where God uses that symbolic geography to try to speak to us and to communicate to us. Also, Jerusalem was built on a hill, again, using that symbolic geography. And so when people went up to Jerusalem, they would say, when you're going up to Jerusalem to go to the festivals, they would say, lift your eyes to the hills. They'd say, I'm lifting my eyes to the hills. So there's a lot of spirituality wrapped up in this first little half verse. Take a break in life stressors. Pause, take a breath, literally or symbolically, lift your eyes up, get a bigger perspective. Where does my help come from? I lift up my eyes to the hills Where does my help come from? And then the first quatrain gives us promise and perspective. My help comes from the Lord who has made heaven and earth. The promise is that God has made covenant with us. It's lifting our eyes to the hills, uses symbolic geography, but it's symbolic of something real. It's not pretend, God has made covenant with us, and we remember that. And the perspective is he's the one who made heaven and earth. So step back, lift up, take a breath, promise and perspective. So then the next three quatrains of half verses will help us to walk into that. He will not let your foot be moved. I love the, I love the verb here. The verb here is not caught up in the surge. You know, it's kind of like if you're, in a, uh, if you're in the ocean and there's an undercurrent, and the undercurrent, you know, you feel it tugging under you, right? You feel it tugging on your feet. And you feel all this sand going out from under your feet, and you go, oh, that's why undercurrents are dangerous. He's saying your foot will not be caught up in a surge like that. You'll be able to stand. And all this energy and all this craziness and all this chaos, and you're feeling like the ground's given out from under you, just dissolving under you, you'll be able to hold on and to stand, Because he who keeps you always knows who you are, always knows where you are. He who keeps you will not sleep. This is the word for me. I can sleep because God won't. I should learn, finally, someday, to relax, trust God, take a Sabbath, or go to sleep because God won't. This is Psalm 127. God grants sleep to those he loves. So then an emphasis, behold, he who keeps Israel, promise, covenant, shall neither slumber nor sleep. He's not going to get groggy-headed. He's not going to lose the moment. He's not going to go to sleep on you. He's going to remember. third quatrain then, responding to the question, building up, getting better, the Lord himself, more personal, the Lord himself, God himself is your keeper. He's not a force. He is the divine, but he's much more than the divine. It is the Lord himself who knows you by name, who knows how many hairs are on your head. He is your defense upon your right hand, the proverbial right hand man, so that the sun shall not burn you by day, neither the moon by night. Now, this is not about sunburn and moonburn because nobody's ever gotten moonburn. This is about Genesis chapter one where the sun rules over the day and the moon rules over the night. This is reaching out to the cosmic. The one who himself knows you is the same one who set the sun and the moon in the sky. And that is a mind blower in a really, really good way. Umpteen billion people on the planet, he still knows you, particularly Personally, you. Last quatrain. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Indeed, it is he who shall keep your soul. Some of this we have to read eschatologically, right? We've all suffered evil and we know the news. Some of this we read in biggest perspective. This is Romans 8, right? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of this is is ultimate. It's eschatological. It's the end. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He... It is he who shall keep your soul. So I found out yesterday something that many of you probably know already. So Tracy Chapman's song, uh, Fast Cars. Anybody know what's going on with that now? It's been on the top of the country charts for like 12 weeks. Some country dude picked it up and turned it into a song, and it's like busted through. This reminds me of Tracy Chapman's other song, All That You've Got Is Your Soul. Right? Okay, I know, old music. But All That You've Got Is Your Soul. And the Lord will keep your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Here, we hear the echo, we hear the Our Father, right? The last line. Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Here's the exodus. The word exodus itself is just the Greek word for the going out, the way out. Ex hados, the way out. Here's Paul in Acts 15 in Athens saying that God appoints and knows the places and the times for each person to live. Friends, there's no expiration date with God. God will not wear out. He will not go to sleep on you and on me, and we can call on him. In Psalm 121, God is trying to give me and you some sleep because he isn't taking any. He's saying, you can trust me. Trust me. Rest. Trust me. Take a break. Trust me. Let go. Rest your soul. Refresh your soul. Do it in joy and in peace. Jesus picked this up in one of his parables. In the Gospel of Mark, he said, the kingdom of God is like someone who spreads seed on the ground. He goes to sleep and gets up night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. It's a farming culture. He's just reminding them. They're like, oh, right, yeah. I go to sleep. I can't, I can't do anything about it. Trust them. So believe God and have a summer. Get a break. Get off the phone. Get outdoors. See the world God made, the sun and the moon that he set in the sky. I'm going to challenge myself to do a bit better with that this summer. Let's pray together. Here's a lovely collect, a prayer of self-dedication from a once-former archbishop of uh, Church of England, William Temple. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you, and then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory for the welfare of your people through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, friends, in hope, let us